All right, I've got a little bit of a confession, I guess. This is a good time to do it in a very public place on a Sunday morning. I have, I have a few struggles, one of which I've had for a long time in my life. I, I am easily frustrated by indecision. It drives me crazy a little bit. You know those moments when you look over to your loving spouse and say, let's go out to, let's go out to dinner or something like that, and you say, where do you, where do you want to go? And um, you know, the answer is, of course, wherever you want to go. It's fine. And then you say, well, let's go here. Well, I don't want to go there. Some of you are laughing because you've had maybe that same conversation. Indecision drives me a little bonkers. Look, in my life, when I've been in teams or meetings, I've been involved in several organizations, you know, civic organizations around town. And you get these people in the room and there comes to that inevitable moment, or that inevitable time when uh, they've got to, you know, come up with a committee or something like that, and like, who wants to take the lead? And there's just silence. And nobody's moving, because nobody wants to be the one. To, that drives me bonkers. It gets under my skin. I realize it's a problem. I have a problem. I need to work on that. But look, whether it's with coworkers or people in an organization or people on the team, uh, complete strangers, my problem is I have a tough time not taking charge. It's been a problem I've had for a long time. It's tough for me not to jump in. It takes every effort of mine not to somehow take over, raise my hand. I realize it's a bit like a sickness. But look, if you, if you, ever, if you ever find yourself in a meeting with me, just realize I'm working really hard internally to, to not necessarily have to be the one in charge all the time. Working really hard on that. I've, I've, I'm taking baby steps every, every time I get into a meeting to not to take charge. But we know this is a reality, right? We, we know there's a, there's a place for leadership. We know there's a place where someone's got to raise their hand, right? Someone, maybe you've been in a, in a, a team sport or, or maybe you're choosing, you know, some kind of a, you know, class project and you're, you're there with other peers and, or at work or whatever it is, you know that there's a place for leadership. Someone to, to raise their hand, someone to point a direction, a spokesperson, you know, someone to kind of help with a little bit of direction, uh, maybe set the pace. I mean, it's, it's painful when nobody wants to to raise their hand, right? That's just, it's a painful thing. And some of us, maybe, anybody ever felt that pain? Just let me just take a, a, a real quick, you can raise your hand, okay. A few of us, will have a little, little talk later, maybe have a little group therapy. This is free, we're, we're recovering, you know, <laughs> leaders, whatever it is. Uh, but we know it's important. And we're gonna be talking about that dynamic a little bit, even in the church family, because whether you're an organization, a company, a church, leadership matters. And it's not just any leadership, it's, it's healthy leadership, and we're going to talk about that today because we're in this series called Next Steps, and we're actually, uh, we're ending this series today. This is week four. If you've missed any of the previous weekends, you can always catch that on all of our platforms. But look, we've been talking about clarity on what the next steps are in life, and specifically being part of a church and in following Jesus. Everything takes a next step. What did Jesus tell? We talked about this in week one, and even if you weren't here, it's Okay. We talked about this in week one. When Jesus first uh, was, was connecting with people and his disciples, what did he ask them to do? Two words, right? Follow me. He didn't say, okay, 
Peter, John, you four fishermen, you blue-collar workers, here's what you got to do. You got to memorize this thing, and then, and then I want you to, to sit down on a chair. He didn't do that, did he? He said, follow me. That implies we're going somewhere. Follow me. In fact, he didn't just end with follow me. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, meaning that I've got a, 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 a job for you to do. I have meaningful things for you to be about, that you're going to carry my mission forward. So it was always an active thing. Look, following Jesus always involves next steps. And so in this series, we've been trying to get clarity, whether you're brand new, first-time guest, rolling into the parking lot, you're not even sure about Jesus or the church, you're coming in all the way through to the person who can lead someone else to say yes to Jesus. We're talking about those clear, the clear next steps to get us from one place to another. We're concluding the series, series today. I'm glad, glad you're here because the question's going to be, and we've been asking this every weekend, what is your next step? What is your next step? Because following Jesus always involves the next step. That's what we're going to be asking today, and today is going to be powerful. We're going to end this series. My name is Pastor Ben, so I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time you've ever been with us, so awesome that you're here in person or online. Hello, online family. And we're glad that you're, you're joining us today. Look, we do this every weekend. Why? Because 2,000-some years ago, Jesus of Nazareth was born in a miraculous way, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and paid for sins past, present, and future, and he didn't just die. He rose from the dead. And that was the game changer. Because from that day on, he rose on a Sunday like today. He rose on a Sunday changing human history forever. And so that's why we gather on Sundays. Today, think of it as like a chance to hit the reset button. This is the first day of the week. Take a deep breath. And today, Jesus has something for you. He has something for me. And I'm guaranteeing he has a next step that he wants to lead you into today. So let's pause for a word of prayer, and then we'll get going this morning. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love, your faithfulness, that in you we don't have to fear, and that we can take a next step. Father, we can, we can even take a next step of faith today. Father, I pray that you'd, you'd encourage and challenge each of us that are listening, whether in person or online, that you challenge us to what that next step might be. And Father, for some, it might be a, a role of leadership. So, Father, empower us by your Holy Spirit to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible or a device, you could start finding, I think it's around Genesis 12 or 13. I'm going to paraphrase a couple of scenarios here. But look, Scripture is not silent with regard to leadership. Taking charge, raising your hand. Scripture is not, not, not silent on this. Scripture actually talks about all the, the, the aspects of leadership, including good leadership and bad leadership. Good and bad leadership are both discussed in the scriptures. And there's probably so many characters I could look at. We're going to be looking at some characters in the Old Testament. Now let's just pause here for a second. Our jam and the, and the, and the scriptures that speak of Jesus are the New Testament. That's kind of our jam and that's our covenant. But the Old Testament is so important because the Old Testament helps give us examples of things that we ought to be aware of and watch out for. And so reading the New Testament is really informed by the historic record of the Old Testament. So it's still so important. So there's some characters in the Old Testament that really show a bit of good leadership and a bit of bad leadership. Because here's what happens. And this is a principle that's true whether you're in the church world, if you're in an organization or a company. 
Leadership can often amplify both the good characteristics and the bad characteristics of a leader. Leadership can amplify that. And so let's look at some examples in Scripture of what we see in both good and bad leadership. Let's talk about, I'm going to talk about Abraham and Lot, then I'm going to roll to Moses and Pharaoh, and then finally I'm going to roll to Saul and David. Now some of you may know those names. Those are some big stories. We're not going to be able to cover all their stories. But let's start with Abraham and Lot. You may not have thought about this as a leadership thing, but I want you to be careful on this one. Abraham and Lot, what do we know about them? Well, number one, they're related. Abraham and Lot, they're related. God taps on Abraham's shoulder. He's called Abram at the time. Taps on his shoulder and tells him to go to a new land called Canaan, which would become very important in the Old Testament, by the way. That part of the world is still important today. But that was really kind of a new territory for Abraham to go. God tells him to go, and he brings along his nephew, Lot. Now, I realize some of you may know the, the, the name Lot because there's this other story of a couple of towns called Sodom and Gomorrah, and that was a sideways, weird, crazy thing. We're not going to talk about that today. Uh, you can kind of get the backstory if you want to, but I want to kind of talk about something that happened before that. So Abraham grabs his nephew Lot and uh, his wife, and they head to Canaan by the Lord's command. And what you find in the story is Abraham is, is willing to listen to God, and even go someplace that Abraham's never been. Now, that takes a leap of faith. Have you ever felt like you've had, to, you know, had this opportunity to go to a new place you've never been? It takes a little bit of courage, maybe a bit of risk. But Abraham is listening to God, and uh, he, he goes and takes these steps toward this new place. And then, and then a lot is with him, and they're in this new, new kind of environment. And what happens in the ancient world is that wealth, instead of being you know, what you got in the bank or mansions, wealth in the ancient world a lot of times had to do with uh, what, like how many head of cattle you had, maybe how many sheep you had. Uh, it was kind of, a, kind of a big deal to see a, a large herds and that sort of represented your wealth back in the day. I mean you could use it for food, you know, obviously you could shear sheep for clothing, so it made a big deal. Well at some point Abraham and Lot, remember Abraham's the, the uncle here, and they have herds that kind of begin to get a little bit hard to manage, and, and they need more room. So, so Abraham, and this is very interesting, in, in Genesis 12 and 13, you read this, Abraham told Lot, hey, we're having, your, your workers are angry with my workers, and, and they're, they're, they're arguing maybe over, say, water rights or whatever it might be, and so the cattle are kind of intermixing, and they don't like that, hey, we need more room. So Abraham says, hey, Lot, uh, here's kind of our lay of the land, uh, why don't we choose some parts of the land to live there and then we'll have enough room so that we won't, you know, have a problem with, uh, you know, water rights and all that. We need more room. So he gives, listen to this, he gives Lot the chance to choose first. And so there's some choices. Well, in that view, Lot looked around and there was some really nice choice area, kind of a valley. There was some grass and water. So uh, Lot's like, well, if you're giving me the choice, I'm going to grab that land. And Abraham, then, he basically deferred to Lot. Lot got the better land. And here we have Abraham showing deference and being humble, letting someone else have uh, what least, at least Lot thought was the better area. Now, if you know the story, there were a couple of cities that Lot and that land included, which was... Sodom and Gomorrah, and those were cities that were going sideways really quick. 
a lot of issues with those cities. So what Lot thought was maybe the better deal, sometimes our eyes tell us something that maybe we should have done some investigating on. Lot took that land not realizing it was almost going to cost him his life. If you know the story, it almost cost him his life, cost his wife's life. So sometimes, you know, here you have this better looking land, but it wasn't. So, so we have a, a difference between two leaders. Abraham, who is willing to give someone else the benefit of the doubt, you know, let them choose first, willing to kind of be humble, let him do that. And then later we see Lot just taking the best without really paying attention and doing his homework. So two different leaders there, one just trying to get everything he can get and the other being willing to be humble. In fact, if you know the story, God uses Abraham to go save Lot's hide. Lot gets into trouble. And uh, we only, the only reason we know about Lot is because of what Abraham did. So there's a couple leaders. Let's go to a couple more. Moses and Pharaoh. Now, you've probably seen some of the movies. Disney's made a few movies, movies about this. It's not a new story. Some of you know the, the idea of the, of the nation of Israel. The Hebrew people were under slavery in Egypt. Uh, the Pharaoh was the king of the ancient world at that point. Moses was part of the Hebrew people. Now, he grew up in Pharaoh's household, and there's a long kind of story to that that's kind of interesting. We don't have time for that today. But, uh, so, so Moses had position, but he was really part of an enslaved people, the, the Hebrew people. And so there's this interplay between Moses and the Pharaoh that you, in, you find very interesting leadership ideas from. First of all, you have Pharaoh, the king of the ancient world, you have Moses, right? In one corner, you have Pharaoh. Let's <laughs> put it this way. And in the other corner, you have Moses, you know, a, a minority people. Uh, and he's trying to uh, basically have this dialogue with the king of the ancient world. And what happens is th- there's this climax that happens where God wants to use Moses to, to get the people out, to get his enslaved people out, right? That was a big deal. The people were crying out to God. God heard them. So Moses was going to be the champion, But Pharaoh was in his way. And so if you know the story, at some point there's a climax where there's some plagues. And if you've ever read the ten plagues, they're scary nasty. I think it's starting in like Exodus 12. Somebody check me on that. I think it's around Exodus 12. You start seeing this interplay between Moses and Pharaoh. And these plagues were supposed to kind of be a catalyst for the Pharaoh to kind of wake up and let the people go, right? So there's one, and then it's like they do a plague, and it's bad, and then kind of like, okay, Pharaoh, you're going to let him go? And then he says no. And so this keeps going, right? If you know the story, ten plagues, they kind of escalate to, you know, from nasty to horrible. I mean, they just keep, and and you've got the idea that God would really prefer Pharaoh to kind of wake up earlier. You know, you get that sense. Hey, why don't you wake up? And so these plagues, and they start with like blood in the water, there's like, then uh, things turn to snakes. All of this sounds horrible to me, by the way. Then you have like gnats and like other bugs, various sundry creatures. You have like frogs, and then like they die. It's really gross. I mean, like, ugh, gross all the way through. These plagues, and what, what you see start to happen in these plagues as you get through the ten. At some point, Pharaoh just keeps saying, and there's a, there's a phrase that's really important in this, and it's, it's what's said about, about the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh is said to have hardened his heart. Now, that doesn't mean, if you're, if you're in the medical profession, that doesn't mean like hard arteries and there's going to be a problem there with your cardiovascular system. It really has to do with, with being stubborn and not seeing what's clear. 
especially what God is doing. And so Pharaoh would harden his heart and just refuse to see what God was doing. At some point, Pharaoh's own people are saying, hey, king, um, can we just let him go now? We, we get the sense that they're frustrated at the Pharaoh's hardening of his own heart, and his own people, his advisors are saying, would you please let them go? This is not fun. And he continues to harden his heart over and over and over. And you see Moses acting in faith, listening to the Lord, and you have a leader that really had lots, ten different opportunities to do the right thing. And you know what stood in his way? Arrogance. Pride. In fact, if you know the story, even after he lets the people go, he chases them down. I mean, he just cannot stand it. He cannot stand to lose. And that is a horrible trait for a leader. Because if they can't see that they're even putting their own people at risk, that is not good leadership. It requires humility, not pride and arrogance. So let's talk about two more. Saul and David. If you know Saul and David, you know there was this kind of story about Goliath and David hitting the Goliath with the slingshot. It's, I don't really know how that happened. It's an interesting story. But in Saul and David, Saul is the king, and, and David is, he would become king, but really he was kind of a, the, the last born of a family that really, in the ancient world, do you know who usually in the family got all the good stuff? Like if you had a family and you had lots of sons, who got, who got the best? Firstborn, right? David was like the lastborn. He should not have even gotten into the kingship role. And it's interesting that David got in like that. And did you know David had a son named Solomon, who was also the last of the last. Solomon had no business being king, but God was in charge, right? So we have Saul and David. We have a mix, we have a a difference of opinion here. You have the king of the world, Saul, in ancient Israel. And Saul, he would interact with David. David kind of helped him with that Goliath issue. You could read about that. Took care of Goliath, and then people started really reacting to David a little bit more than Saul. In fact, Saul would send David out on these military conquests and and there'd be great victories. And so he was doing all these great things for Saul. Saul couldn't see it. He saw David only as a threat to his throne. And so because he was guarding his position so much, Saul only saw what he wanted to see. Saul was very, very self-focused. Could not see the positives of of a guy named David. David shows great faith, but in 1 Samuel 18, people start singing songs about, Sam, or about David and Saul. And they start saying, well, Saul, you know, he's done some good military stuff, but David, now, David has done even more. And so the jealousy, the bitterness starts to, to creep in to this leader named Saul, and he can't stand it. And so if you're ever reading the story here, and I encourage you to read the backstory, you know, there's moments of beauty in the story. I mean, that was good. Goliath was a great story. Military victories, those were, those were pretty cool. But then there's moments where they're having a dinner party, and King Saul is literally trying to stab David with a spear. Now, I don't know what your dinner parties are like, but I wouldn't be very fun if you're always watching for that spear flying through the air. This is the interaction, but you see a humble leader like David willing to listen to the Lord and take a risk, and you see this arrogant, bitter king who is only focused on himself. He was so self-focused that at times, King Saul would send his own son Jonathan into risky battles where his son could have easily died. 
simply because of this rivalry. He was so bitter, bitter to the very end, bitter enough to say, I don't care about you, God. Two leaders. Now, here's the deal. We read through a couple leaders. There are so many more in Scripture, but let's kind of bring this down to focus. Leadership can get into people's heads. You know, leadership can fool you into thinking you're a better person than everybody else. Leadership can make you think, well, I've got the title. You do what I say. You sit down there. I'm the leader, and I'm just going to dictate everything that's going to go on. It can get into your head. Some of these leaders let leadership get into their head. Some of them even abdicated responsibility. And none of these, even the, the good ones, David, right, Moses, Abraham, these were not, were not perfect individuals. They struggled with a lot of stuff. But they were willing to be humble and to listen to the Lord and to, to put others' needs above their own. They weren't perfect at it, but that was their leadership style. Good leaders, you think, if you think about it, are people that do that. They put others' needs above your own. They want to make sure that you have, you know, you get the best. They want to make sure that you shine. They're humble. Good leaders are, are, are trying to be a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world. Good leaders are pointing in a, in a direction. Saying, hey, let's go this way. Good leaders are encouragers. Good leaders, in essence, are servants. And they point the way forward. And, and here's the deal for, for, for us today. You might be thinking, I don't know if leadership is the next step for me, Ben. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm no Billy Graham. You know, I'm no great worship leader. I can't stand up on stage. Do you think that's what's required for leadership? Because it's not. In fact, Moses didn't want to speak in front of people, and so God tapped on the shoulder of his brother. Who was a, so that's not, it's not necessary for leadership, but what is necessary is what we've already seen, humility, putting someone else's needs above your own. It's servanthood. If you want to be a leader in our church family, it's all about putting someone else's needs above your own. Servant leadership is really what we love here in our church family. I would hope every church, that would be the, the goal of every leader, is to be humble. You may not be an eloquent speaker or be able to jam on guitar like Ryan and Dylan back here, uh, but I like what John Maxwell said several, several years ago about leadership. And he said, leadership is influence. Leadership is influence. So the big question is, who are you influencing? If you're a parent or a grandparent, do you realize that you're influencing people? And sometimes you don't even realize you're influencing people. You know, you might be in a car and your kiddo or grandkiddo says something that you say all the time when you're frustrated when driving, and you go, oh, maybe I should be careful what I say around my little ones. Or, this happened to me yesterday, Jackie and I were talking uh, outside, we were getting some work done in our house, and um, our neighbor said something about, uh, hey, he wanted to borrow a tool or whatever, and he's like, you guys get home, what, about 11.30, 12 or what, something like that, and, I, and it, it dawned on me for a second, I went, so he knows when, I'm, when we're home, <laughs> like, when we're home from church, and now he, he goes to church, to another church here in town, which is great, but I just thought it was interesting, I, you know, it caught me off guard that he would kind of know a little bit of our schedule. You know, you just don't think about our, our, our influence. But there is leadership influence that we're doing all the time. The question is, are we, are we stewarding that influence well? Because leader, if leadership is influence, everyone in here 
has a chance to influence another person, a, a co-worker, a friend, a family member. You have an opportunity to influence other people. So who are you influencing? That is a big question today. At our church family, leadership is about putting others first. It's about humility, and it's not about position or authority or power. Leadership at our church family involves servanthood. I've told this story before, but I'll be brief if you've heard it before. In year one, our church launched in 2007, and oftentimes I was the last person at Whitworth Elementary, which is where we, we, we launched. I was often the last person there. And uh, I would try to do a check, a final check, before we left and we took the trailer and, and took off and we were done. We, we had to set up and tear down every Sunday. And I was the guy that was kind of walking through. There's a few of us that would do this, but at least the first couple times I remember, I would go and do a bathroom check just to make sure they were clean and ready for the school on Monday. And there were several times where I, I found that people had left surprises that were in the bathroom and they needed to be taken care of. And uh, so, uh, and sometimes the stalls were locked, which meant if you play this out, I got to go under the stall and deal with whatever was left. I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave it. So our church family would, would have kind of a bitter, bitter taste in the mouth of a janitor. So I would try to go clean that. And I remember thinking the first time I did that, I remember thinking, I'm the leader of this church. And I've got to clean this up. All right, obviously, that was a bad reaction. But servant leadership means you're willing to do what it takes. That's why I think in military, some of you have been in the military, there's something powerful about going into combat with people that you've trained with that have been in the trenches, even, even the leaders that, you know, if you have a leader that went up the ranks with you, even in basic training, those become powerful connections because your leader is someone who's been with you in the trenches. There's something powerful about that. Servant leadership is about influence. It's about putting someone else's needs above your own. To serve in our church family, that is what you need to be as a servant leader, being willing to do the hard things. Jesus said this in Mark 9. He said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. That's hard to do. If you want to be first, be willing to be last and the servant of all. So here's some maturity steps. Because God may be tapping you on the shoulder about how, what's your next step, and it might be in a leadership role of some sort. Remember, leadership isn't about what's on stage. Leadership is influence, and it's about being a servant leader. God may be tapping you on the shoulder for some servant uh, leadership roles. And here's a couple of them. And it could be something as simple as leading someone else to make a decision for Jesus. Now, if you think about it, look in this room. Some of you have been following Jesus for a while. Could you, if someone asked you, a friend, a family member, someone at work, said, you know what, you, you seem to have a relationship with Jesus. How do I do that? How many of you feel like you could lead them to Jesus? Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but could you walk them through the steps? Yeah, well, it starts with faith. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is. Yeah, he died on the cross for us and, and take, took care of our sins. So you repent of your sin and, and you start following Jesus. Then you confess it before everybody. And then you're baptized into Christ and risen to new life. And you start walking the way of Jesus. Can you do that with somebody? That may be a leadership next step for you. Being able to do that for somebody. I'm guaranteeing you can do that. Here's another one. Leading in some kind of small group or ministry team. That means you take a leadership role. You're not waiting for someone else to jump in. You're suited up. Get in the game. So maybe you need to lead a ministry. Maybe you need to be part of our online hosting. You know, there's people online right now. 
watching what we're doing, and, and, and some of them are afraid to come back into our physical gathering, and that's okay, but maybe you can be part of that hosting team, checking in on them. Hey, how are you doing? What do you think about what Pastor Ben just said? Hey, can I pray for you? These are engagements that we can do, and there's, there's roles that you could take in a ministry team or even a small group. Some people get freaked out about small groups. You don't need to be freaked out. All that means is maybe you decide, I'm going to get together with a couple, maybe one other family, and we're going we're gonna to have a meal together and check in on each other. Maybe we're going to have a meal and we're going to pray together just to see how we're doing. That's as easy as it gets. In fact, Jesus, that was a big part of his ministry, was having meals with people. You don't believe me, read the Gospels. They did a lot of walking and they did a lot of eating. And there was ministry done in those moments. All right? Here's the last one. And this could be something that that I'll, I'll tap on some of you about. Maybe it's time for you to level up spiritually. You've been kind of, you know, spinning your wheels, spinning your tires. Maybe you actually need to put it in your schedule. I'm going to spend time in prayer that has nothing to do with my, my meal times. You're going to put that on your radar and say, I'm going to make a point of spending time with the Lord in prayer. I'm going to spend time in scripture that I, I know I should, but I just haven't done. You need to level up. Put it in your phone. Start to level up spiritually. Maybe that's in spiritual reading. I can give you so many good books that have helped me in my spiritual journey. One I read recently is, and I've handed this book out several times, In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nowen. There are so many great books that can help you level up spiritually. Spending time in prayer, spending time in scripture. Here's another one that I want to challenge you to. And I know this is old school. But whenever I face a big decision or there's something kind of big on the radar, or I'm struggling, fasting can help you. Now, I realize that fasting seems like a a very old school thing, but what is fasting? That's pulling away from what your normal rhythm is so that you can focus on what God wants to tell you in prayer. Fasting generally in the Bible had to do with pulling away from food. I realize in our modern culture, sometimes people will fast from, say, social media, or they'll fast from, you know, Netflix binging or whatever it is. But, but for me, it's been pulling away from food, and those times that I would have been spending in preparation and eating, I'm spending time in prayer. Some of you, that's a way for you to level up. What are these steps? These are maturity steps for you. Some of you, that's a next way for you to lead in your sphere of influence. Servant leaders at our church family, look, we take our cue from Jesus, our master. We're willing to do hard things. We're willing to do the humble things. We're, we're, we're willing to walk beside other people to help them see their best. And we're willing to see leadership as influence, not power or position. That's what leadership is. And some of you, God may be calling to that next step, and that might be leadership. So what next step are you going to take? We've, we've said this every weekend, and now I'm ending it with this. What next step is God calling you to take? Because following Jesus involves what? Next steps. And we all have a next step to take in our journey. Look, every great journey involves another step. And so what is that for you? Here's what I want you to pray. Because some of you might be, God might be asking you to take a next step of leadership. I want you to pray this this week. Maybe jot this down or take a photo of your, with, it, with it on your camera. It's this. Lord is my next step leading. Lord is my next step leading. Remember, leadership is influence. And leadership in our church involves serving others is my next step leadership. Look, for some of you, you can take somebody through the steps of following Jesus. For some of you, you have maybe led in a team or, or, or you're, you're leveling up spiritually, growing in depth with Jesus, really spending time with him. You're, you're beginning to have a prayer life that's richer than it's ever been. And this is a great time to do that, by the way. 
you're, you're leveling up spiritually. For some of you, God may be calling you to even vocational ministry. Maybe God's calling you to take a, a role in a mission somewhere, either in the States or out of the States. God may be calling you to plant a church. God may be calling you to, to maybe lead a small group in your community or in your neighborhood. God may be asking you to take the next step. Some of you, that may be even involving Bible college or seminary. Some of you might be ready for that, that God may be calling you outward and ways to serve people even beyond what you thought now. God may be speaking to you on that. And if he is, please listen to what he's saying. God may have something bigger for you. And I believe that every one of us in this room has a next step. I'm going to pray here in a minute, and I'll pray for, for us and for what our next steps are. But I do want to say this. If, if, if you're here today or you're online, glad to see you. If you've never taken that first step, which is deciding to follow Jesus, making him Lord and Savior of your life, you can do that today. We'd love to hear about that. We'd love to celebrate that with you. You Talk with your online hosts or, or with one of us here about what it means to say yes to Jesus. We've talked about it, but if you want to walk through that, you're ready to say yes. We would love to celebrate that with you today. Now let me pray, and, and after I do that, I want to let you know where we're heading. Starting next weekend, we're starting a series called The Art of Neighboring. And it's starting next weekend, which is September 13th. I hope you can make plans to be there for all four weeks. We're going to do that in conjunction with our daughter church over in Adair Village, Village Christian. We're going to do that as a joint uh, four-part series. Encourage you to, to make plans to be there for that or online. Because Jesus said very directly, love your neighbor as yourself. And many of us, we need some encouragement on how to do that. And so we're going to kick that off next week. I hope you're ready for that. I'm so excited. But before we do that, let's pray. And then I want you to watch this promo. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love, your faithfulness. Father, we have next steps that we know you are calling us to take. So I pray, Father, for the courage and strength for everyone that's hearing this today, that we would be ready to take our next step and we would take that next step. So Father, empower us and, and use us to reach people in our neighborhoods. And Father, that as we take these next steps, we know that you will bless that because you could do immeasurably more than any of us could ask or imagine according to your power. So we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.